0: This morning, if you can tell from the, the slide on the uh, screens behind me, uh, we're starting a new sermon series. Um, it's going to take us about five or six weeks to work through. Um, so I encourage you to, to be a part of this series as much as you can. Um, and if you're not able to be here, you know that we live stream our services. Um, they're on a, our YouTube channel. So just search for North Anvil Bible Church. You can subscribe. And uh, each week the, they'll show up in your feed. Uh, so over the last month or so, as we have been thinking through or as I've been thinking through and praying through where we were going to go next in the scriptures. you know, we, we spent about six and a half months or so looking at David's life. And, um, I, you know, as I was praying, I, I, I have an idea of where we're going in our next book study. And I'm not going to tell you yet. That's the teaser. You have to come back for that later. Um, but. Over the last month, as I was praying about where to go, the Lord kept bringing me back to this idea that it would be good for us to take a look at what he says the church is. Notice I said what he says, not what I say, or not even what we would, you know, if we took a straw poll, what is the church? Uh, we want to look at what God says in his word about the wonderfully beautiful, unique um, Dynamic of what the church of Jesus Christ truly is. Because sometimes we look at church and we think of it as the place that we attend. Not a description of who we are. And not a description of who we belong to. It's a good reminder for us It's a good reminder in the sense that if you look around over the last year or so, we've had a lot of new folks attending and um, some of you come from different church backgrounds and uh, different church experiences. And, and, And then for us that have been here for a significant amount of time, it's good for us to stop and remember and reflect, why has God fit us together the way that he has? What is his purpose in this? What's this all about? What does he want to accomplish through us? It's certainly far more than what we're doing right now. It's a big part of it. I mean, gosh, I would be in a terrible place if I said that this wasn't important. But this isn't all of it. What we're doing right now in our Sunday gatherings is really the gathering spot for us, but it's not the only time that we are to be together in specific ways for a specific purpose in the way that Jesus has brought us together. And so we want to look through the New Testament over the next few weeks and different passages that capture the beauty and wonder and the mystery of the church of Jesus Christ. I pray that our study challenges our thinking and encourages our understanding of the uniqueness and really the, and I, I've said this before, just to take this the right way, the strangeness of the collective group that God has called here. I'm not saying you're strange. <laughs> Some of you maybe, but... (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is this, right? In no other place, in no other arena of your life are you going to find a collection of people like this with different backgrounds, with different hobbies, with different desires, with different um, areas of expertise and different giftedness. And yet, in the joy of Jesus... He has called each one of us to be a part of what he is doing in this community here at North Anvil Bible Church. I cannot help but love the church. And it's not because I'm your pastor, but that's important. But because as a child of God, who has read the pages of the New Testament... I am convinced that the church is precious to God in the primary way He expects us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. When you, when you read the New Testament, when you read the, the exposition of what the apostles taught based on who Jesus is, the church is a central doctrine to Everything that they expressed about knowing Jesus and belonging to Him. God calls us to one another in Him. He desires that we would walk in fellowship together, that we would join in one voice together in worship, that He's commissioned us with the task of setting this world on fire with the good news about Jesus, That He has called us to be His hands and feet together. That He has called this place, the church, to be a place of healing and restoration. And that He has called the church to be a preserving entity in a lost world that is decaying. As we are called to be salt and light. We know that in a world that pushes individualism first, you know, that me first kind of attitude that, you know, what can I get out of it kind of mindset that we as Christians are less connected to the concept of community that is specifically called the church. We live in a dangerous age. Now, it's easy for us to look at it that way because this is the only age we're living in. But we live in a a dangerous time where the more connected we think we are, the the less connected we actually are. You know, because everything is at our fingertips. And yet, relationships don't grow in a digital way only. We actually have to be with people. Not just sitting next to them, sitting across with them, talking with them, hearing their hearts, allowing our hearts to be heard, praying for each other, talking about the scriptures together, using the gifts that we have to serve one another in the body. And yet in this age that we live in where everything is just, you know, out here. And the danger is, if I go to a place like that, maybe someone will know who I am. And if they know who I am, maybe they won't accept me or love me. That there's this kind of arm's, arms length distance that many people have experienced. And I, w- I would just say to you, Jesus Christ, saved you to be His child. But He saved you never to be alone and has fit you into His family that we call the church. We've turned Christianity into an isolated experience that focuses on my walk with the Lord. And when we think and live that way, we often miss out on the purpose that we may have in the local gathering of people that are here, like in a gathering like this. You know, if Sunday morning is our only exposure to what the church is, then we're going to come in, we're going to say hi, we might smile. You know, we got a minute to greet one another, and then we're going to sit down, we're going to hear a sermon. You're going to hear a benediction, walk out the doors and say, see you next week. And I would just say to you, that's not enough. It's not. You need the people sitting around you. And maybe if you don't know what that exactly means, and maybe from a past experience, you thought you had that and it didn't go so well. Because, you know, honestly, Here we are, we know we're not perfect, and we hurt each other sometimes. And maybe you came from a past experience where you were hurt or wounded by an experience where someone sinned against you, and you felt marginalized, and you felt like you weren't heard, and all those things. And so you carry that, you know know maybe church is important, but then you're here and you're thinking, I'm just going to stay right here for right now. I would just encourage you that Jesus never meant that to be the experience that he wants for his people. We cannot live the Christian life on our own. We need each other. We need to pray for each other, serve one another, grow in the knowledge of Scripture, which leads in the maturity that we have in Christ. We need every part of the body of Christ to know and use their giftedness so that the church can be strong and effective. We need each other. For me, every milestone event in my spiritual walk with the Lord has found its way through the community of the saints that God calls the church. There has never been a significant milestone in my life where in my walk with Jesus, I figured it out all by myself. My salvation, my baptism, my call to ministry, my growth in grace, the opportunities that God gave me to serve, my wedding, my children being dedicated, my ordination, the place where I go when I need encouragement and accountability, the times when worship has brought me close to the throne of grace, the people who've been there for me time and time again to pray for me, to cry with me, and to just remind me that Jesus loves me more. The church. Is a beautiful thing. It's not perfect, but it is certainly beautiful. That in God's providence, He saw fit to bring all of us together in such a way that we become family, His family, forever. Get used to it. Get used to each other. I'm going to spend eternity with Stan if you don't know stan he's the drummer get to know stan he'll change your world so this morning i want us to capture the beauty of what it means that god has called us into his household That we are at home only when our lives are connected to one another as we are connected to Christ. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to consider this wonderful thought in the context of Paul's um, exposition of the great doctrine of the church. And that's really what the book of Ephesians is all about. It's, It's the mystery of the church. That in God's. Amazing grace. He has saved us to belong to him. The unfortunate thing about a study like this is um, we don't always get to build off of what we last heard. So just for the next few minutes, uh, I'm going to summarize where Paul's been in just chapter two alone. Um, In chapter two, verse one says, and you were dead in your trespasses in sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So Paul paints this picture to the writers or to the, the readers uh, of the church of Ephesus, this church that he was encouraging, this church that he was writing to to remind them of the beauty of the church. And what they belong to. And he says, Remember where you came from. You came from a place of death. Like you may have had air in your lungs, but spiritually you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. What that means is you're not alive to the things of God, you're separated from God. You cannot be in fellowship with your Creator, you cannot know His love. In the fullest expression in the way that the father wants to love his children. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Among them, we too, verse 2, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were made by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. My son's been using a phrase uh, every once in a while. Um, when it's a hopeless situation, he'll say, you're done though." That's what Paul is saying here, is done though. done-zo. We're finished. We're gone. There's no hope. That's where we came from. And if you write in your Bibles, just maybe circle, underline, star, highlight, the first two words of verse 4. But God... We were goners, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead. Here's what I have come to know in my walk with Jesus. The times and seasons where I fall short of His glory and I'm aware of it. And I know the brokenness that sin has brought me personally. That if God can love me, even in that time, how much more did He love me in my sin when I wasn't even aware that I was offending Him? But God, rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our transgresses, Made us alive together with Christ. He brings dead people to life. If you know Jesus Christ today, you're a dead man or woman walking. You've been made alive. How have you been made alive? Paul concludes in verse 5 by saying by grace you have been saved it's by his grace it's not by your effort it's not by your works it's not by how good you can outweigh all the bad that you have done it is by grace a gift that god gives that you have been saved grace is that undeserved gift we're all dead we're all gone We've all trespassed against God's holiness. And God says, I still love you. Here is my son. Receive him. And if you do, everything will be made right. And he raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those are the the tenses of those words. Raised and seated. Aren't yet to come. They are already now. Do you see that? That by faith in God's son. We are raised and seated. With Jesus in the heavenly places. So that in the ages to come. He might show the surpassing riches of his grace. And kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. We are trophies of God's grace. And that there is more to come in the future. And he will continue to show his kindness through grace. And then we know these all too familiar verses, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one would boast. For we are His workmanship pre- created in Christ Jesus for good works which were prepared by God beforehand so that we would walk in them. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by God's grace Through faith in Him. Nothing else. There is nothing else that you can do. That will make you pleasing in God's sight. The only thing a dead sinner can do. To be accepted by God. Is to receive in what He has already provided. And the great thing about it is. When we unite to Christ by faith. God says, I have things for you to do. I have works for you to accomplish. I have a plan and purpose for your life. And and maybe for some of you today, you know Jesus, you love Jesus, you've found Jesus, and you're in this season of life and you're thinking, God, I love you, but I don't know what you want from me. The wonderful good news for those who are in the faith is that he has prepared Works for us to walk through. And He did it before. Before when? Before the world began. Like, my mind cannot comprehend those kinds of things. But by His grace, He uses us for His glory. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. As as kind of like a, a, a master craftsman. God uses who we are and shapes it and molds it and chips it away to present us before him perfect. And he uses us for greater purposes than we ever thought we could be used for. So with that in mind, the scene shifts. We were dead. We are made alive in faith. And then Paul says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. And so his primary audience are Gentile people. And who are the Gentile people? Anyone that isn't Jewish. So the Old Testament was primarily written to Jewish people because it was God's promise, God's covenantal promise to a group of people that came from Abraham, found their way through Jacob, and and became a nation. And the, the Old Testament brings us through this grand story of God's faithfulness through these people as they found themselves in slavery in Egypt and they were brought through the exodus through Moses's leadership wandered through the wilderness entered the promised land through Joshua through the series of judges and kings became a nation of God's people and they were far from perfect but in God's providence he had said that through that group of people there will come a Savior. And that Savior came. But He didn't just come for the nation of Israel. No, He came for the whole world. And so now, Paul was writing about that and and he says to us, remember where you came from. You didn't come from that Old Testament history, national allegiance group story of Father Abraham No, you came from a different perspective. In fact, you came from an uncircumcised background. And and circumcision was the big deal for the Jewish people. That was a sign. That was an external sign of that covenant promise. But he says to you as Gentiles, that's not our background. We were separate from Christ. We were excluded from the the commonwealth promises of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, spiritually, personally, we were dead. Big picture, where do we belong? There was no direction, there was no hope. In fact, in the Old Testament, the only way a Gentile could be brought into any kind of right understanding with God would be to be proselytized or brought in to the covenant community of Israel. And yet Paul says now, no, that that's. That's not the point of, of Christ and what He has done. No, we who are Gentiles that were far off, and when I say far off, not just from me to the door, like from the if the door was the entranceway in the rear of the sanctuary of what it means to be in a relationship with God, I was about as far away as I could get from getting through that door. That's how far off we were. And then Christ came. Those who were far off have been brought near. Oh, I hope you know how close you are to God and how much he longs to be in a relationship with you, to love you, and to grow you in your relationship with him. But how are those who are far off brought near? Paul says through the blood of Christ, the payment for our sins the shedding of a perfect one's blood to be applied for the imperfect one's sins covers them and pays for them so that we, as Paul says, can be brought into a peaceful relationship with our Father. Now, the great thing about this Right, Because Paul's been saying Jews are here with their background. Gentiles are here with their background. What did Christ do? He brought both groups into one. Here is the rea- reality of what Paul is saying. If you're a Jewish person today and you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a part of the covenant promises of Israel. You belong to the church. You belong to this new living organism with Christ as its head. Sure, you have an ancestral history and heritage through the nation of Israel, but you're no longer considered Jewish from an Old Testament Jewish perspective. And if you're a Gentile and you are brought into a relationship with jesus christ by faith you are no longer just a gentile anymore that is over here but because of christ you are brought into a new and living organism which is called the church where christ is the head he brought the two that were separate and far apart into one in fact the imagery that paul uses here would kind of be a part of the understanding of the people of Ephesus, and especially if there were any Jewish Christians in the church in Ephesus, because in the the first century world as the Jewish people and and even going further back would go to Jerusalem and there was a temple there, there would be the court of the Jews. But outside of that, by a dividing wall would be the court of the Gentiles. And if the Gentiles who were being proselytized into the Jewish faith wanted to come to the temple and wanted to worship God, they could only go so far the outer courts they couldn't enter in any further than the court of the gentiles and so even in their desire to want to be close to god they could only get so far and paul says because of the blood of jesus he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in the, in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have... Our access in one spirit to the father. Here's what Paul is saying to this point. Two groups brought in the one. This new group is new. It's brand new. It's something brand new. It's something that the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, like when they wrote about the future and a Messiah coming, this new entity was not even a thought in their mind. In fact, even for the disciples, when Jesus told Peter in in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 16, Upon you, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm sure Peter was like, what are you doing? What, what, What are you talking about? And then when Christ ascended... And he gave the commission to the disciples to go with the message of the gospel. And as they went with the message of the gospel, and as people became converted and believed in the message of the gospel, when dead people became alive in Christ, what Paul is saying is God took all of those dead people who became alive and brought them together into his body, and he calls them the church. So what do we know about this church? And this is really what I want to focus on to this point in verses 19 through 22. He says three things about us in the church. But one thing that we need to understand before we look into this, it just understand the perspective of where people came from and what God is doing, that through the power of the cross, not only does it bring peace with God, but it brings us together as one, and it is in us that God dwells. Like God brings peace between us and Him, and peace with one another, and He builds this house, and guess what? God dwells in the household that He's building, like God doesn't dwell in this building, right? The structure that we've created with human hands. But God dwells within the community of the people that he has saved and fit together to be a part of his body. And you might say, Pastor, I remember in other places in the New Testament that each one of us individually are the house of God where the Holy Spirit dwells. Well, yeah, that's true. But also collectively together, God dwells in the midst of his people, And so he calls us first citizens. In verse 19 we read, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You who were far off, that had no home, that had no identity to belong to. We were strangers and aliens have been made citizens. Citizens of what? Well, Paul says we are citizens with the saints and are of God's household. We belong to His house. His presence is our home. Our citizenship, as Paul says in Philippians 3.20, is in heaven. And Paul declares... Only citizens of heaven are God's saints. Now this was a huge reality for the Ephesian believers because as Paul was writing this letter to a largely Gentile church in a Roman Empire, that at the time that he wrote these words, the overwhelming majority of people that lived at the time that Paul said these things were slaves. There was upwards of four to six million slaves in the Roman Empire that, at the time that Paul wrote these words. And when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells these believers who some of them are, are still slaves, right? That that was their uh, position in, in life in this world. They came to faith in Jesus Christ and they're still slaves. They still have an earthly master. They still have things that they have to do. Paul says to them, listen, you're no longer slaves from from God's perspective. You're citizens with every right and privilege and belonging to the kingdom where God is in charge. You're not slaves and far off, but you're close and have every right and privilege. We belong to God's holy people. No, we're not Israel. Paul isn't saying that the church is somehow a new nation of people or replaced the people of God in the Old Testament. No, God has just set them aside for the time being and he promises to return to them. And that's what the future is going to come to. When, when Christ returns after a period of great trouble that visits the earth, he will restore his promises to the people of the Old Testament. But for every person this side of the cross that places their faith in Jesus Christ, they, don't, they belong to the church. If you're Jewish, you don't belong to Israel. You belong to the church. If you're a Gentile, you belong to the church. And Christ is going to return and make everything right in His kingdom. So we don't replace Israel. We're something new. And we're not only citizens, but He also says we're family. We are of God's household. We belong to Him. We have identified ourselves with His Son through faith. And the way that God sees us is the way that He sees His Son. And the way that God treats us is the way that God treats His Son. Because the Father cannot give anything but His best to His Son, He cannot give anything but His best to those who know Him and trust him heavenly citizen citizenship and family membership are not distinct roles or positions but simply different views of the same reality so every kingdom citizen is a family member and every family member is a kingdom citizen it's just a different perspective of what paul is saying there are no distinctions there aren't greater citizens and there are lesser family members if you're in Christ, you're a citizen and a family member. Your fellow citizens and family members equal in every spiritual way before God. If God accepts each one of us, how can we not accept each other? And, and, and that's just a, a sober reminder to all of us, right? Jesus' half-brother James in the book of James that he wrote later in the New Testament says, why are there divisions amongst you? Why do the rich people sit here and the poor people sit here? Why do we show favor to some and not favor to others? Paul says here in Ephesians that we're all citizens and we're all family. And so each one of us should be treated the same. Finally, finally, In verses 20-22, through Paul says that we are God's dwelling place. So let me back up in the last phrase in verse 19. We are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So this house that God is building has a foundation, right? If you've ever built anything before, you know that the stronger your foundation is, the more sure your foundation is, the greater the chance the building will stand against all the things that can beat against the building, right? If you, if you don't have a good foundation, the house may look wonderful, But life will hit it, nature will hit it, and it won't stand. Paul is saying that this house that God is building is built on a foundation of what? Well, the, the things, the truths, the doctrines of the apostles and prophets. And the apostles here are those who were the disciples like Peter and James and John and Paul and those men. The things that we read that they wrote in the New Testament, that's our foundation. That's why as a church, we make a very big deal about this book. This is why we spend so much time reading it, studying it, diving into it, meditating on it. Making sure that we understand what God is saying. This is why when we think about ministry here and what's important to the ministry and what it means to belong to the ministry of this church, we want to, we want you to make, to know that we are making sure that this word is true and will stand the test of time and this word will change your life. This word is sure it is settled in heaven because it's not just the words of the apostles and the prophets. It's the very word of God. And this word brings life. Paul says we built or God is building this house on their foundation. The words of the apostles and the prophets and not just the prophets of the Old Testament. We think within the context what Paul is referring to is the prophets that were around in the time of the apostles, So they have a, they're, they're the foundation, but every foundation has a cornerstone. In fact, in the first century world, the cornerstone was the piece that set everything else in its right place. The cornerstone, they would spend more time laying the cornerstone than they would any other part of the building. Because if the cornerstone wasn't correct, the whole building would be off kilter. And God tells us that the cornerstone of this building is none other than His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one in which everything else is built upon. And we're going to talk about what that means in the next few weeks as we consider how Christ is not only the cornerstone, but He is the head of this church, He is the Lord. Of all, What I love about what Paul says here in verse 21, he says, in whom the whole building being fitted together and that, that imagery of being fitted together, right? Each one of us, a part of the body of Christ, each one of us being a part of God's household are being fitted together. Each one of us with our uniqueness and our giftedness. And, and, and uh, you know, you might think, well, where do I belong? Well, 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 God took you and he laid you in the perfect spot in the building that he is building. And he says, you belong to something greater than what you were apart from yourself. And he fits us together. And we are growing into the holy temple in the Lord. growing. His house is growing. His dwelling place is growing. His church is growing. What does that mean? Well, it means this. God's not done. God's not done building his household. you might look around and say, well, I belong to the household. Isn't that enough? No, because there's other people around you that you don't know that that don't belong yet and they need to belong. And how are they going to know? It's when we go and when we're sent and we tell them that God loves them. God has sent his son to die for them. And invite them to belong not just to a salvation personal relationship with God, but a community relationship with other believers into the greater mission and purpose of what God is doing as he builds his kingdom. And so we need to remember that Christ is the cornerstone. And we need to remember that each one of us are precisely cut and fit strongly and beautifully with each other in this house. And it's all according to God's divine plan. And that one day in the future, and Paul talks about this later in chapter 5, one day in the future, this house will be presented before God as a beautiful, holy temple, spotless and white. Christ's body is not complete though. His temple is growing. People are continually being added. So what does this mean for us? What means this? What's happening here right now is precious to God. The gathering of His people to celebrate His faithfulness and the worship of the name of His Son is precious to God. The way that we can gather together, use our gifts... To serve one another, to help each other grow, that is precious to God. That each one of you, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know where I belong yet. I don't know where I fit. You are still precious to what God is doing. And what we want to do, not just in the leadership of this church, but in the focus of what we're accomplishing, is seeing how God has worked in your life. And has gifted you so that you can serve within the body of Christ here. Because the church is the most precious, not organization, like the Lions Club or the Rotary. And if you're members of any of those clubs, okay, that's great. But this, this isn't an organization, we're a living organism. We're a living body that has members and pieces that need to all work together. That this is the most precious relationship that we can have this side of heaven. Think about where your life would be, your spiritual life would be without the church. And think about through God's grace, where you are in faith as a result of the ministry of the body of Christ. The church is certainly precious to God. So there are some things I want to leave you with as we think through this. The first thing is this. Do all that you can to maintain His home. What do I mean by that? As, as a part of the household that God is building, love God. Love one another. Help people grow in their understanding and faith. Help them to pursue truth. Help them to to come to the realization of how to hate sin. Do all that you can to maintain his home. That doesn't mean show up on a work day and paint a wall, that means care for one another because we are the household. Second thing, do all that you can to expand his home. According to verse 21, the house of God is still growing. God is not done adding to his family. We're not done adding to the family of God. God has given us a mission and a commission to go and preach the good news, to share the love of Christ. And it's not just telling someone, but it's modeling what it means to follow the Savior. Be proactive. To expand God's house. And finally, if you haven't yet, make His home yours too. Some of you this morning might be here and think, I believe in God, but I've never really belonged to a local church. I've really never known what it meant to move beyond the Sunday morning experience. And I'd ho- I would hope you would see that God cares more about than just what's happening here right now. He wants you to grow deeper in your understanding of Him. And, and He calls us to primarily do that in relationship with each other. That moves beyond what happens here on a Sunday morning. We have life groups here at the church. We have different Bible studies here at the church. Our 11 o'clock ministry is a time to get together and, and, and to grow deeper We have different opportunities to have fun and fellowship like church camping. And at the end of August, we're going to have our church picnic. We have different fellowship activities that we do in in smaller groups and in larger groups. What I'm saying is we do all of this so that we can provide a platform for each one of us to continue to grow with each other in grace and truth. It's not just so that we can look at a calendar and say, oh, we're busy. My desire is that we wouldn't be busy. Busyness is a distraction. Busyness hinders spiritual growth. But fellowship can occur when we take time to foster relationships beyond what's happening here on a Sunday morning. And so if you've never made God's church your home, I would encourage you, to take that step of faith. The church is not just a place to attend. No, it's far greater. It's our home. It's our spiritual home. It's not just an organization or a collection of people, but it's a living organism that will last forever. And I pray that today and moving forward as we walk, walk through this series, you will see the beauty of the precious community of the saints that God calls the church. Let's pray.